Hello, everyone. Welcome to Speak to Me in English. Remember, my name is Alex. I am your host for this podcast. And for today's episode, I'm very happy because today we have a very, very special guest. She's a very good friend of mine. She has helped me a lot also practicing my, my own English. And she's from the United States. And before giving you more information about her, I would like that she introduces herself to you, to the audience, so she can tell us a little more about herself. So, Rachel, good morning, Rachel. How are you today? Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, I'm doing great. Hello to everyone uh, listening. Um, so, yeah, a little bit about myself. I am from San Antonio, Texas. Um, I Well, my dad is from the United States and my mom's from Mexico. So I grew up speaking both Spanish and English, but for a long time, English became the predominant language I would speak. Uh, just because, you know, we spoke it everywhere, school, just with friends. And and so, um, yeah, I reconnected with Alex or just connected with him to practice some of my Spanish and he practices English and, and that's how our friendship started. So, yeah, and I'm very happy to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me, Alex. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rachel. And yes, yeah, so, well, in this case, as you mentioned, you are also, you also speak Spanish and you are also like taking some classes, learning more about the language. So I think that uh, we have some things in common when it talks about like this process of learning a, a new language or trying to master a new a new language. And uh, in this case, uh, well, uh, I already asked you some of the questions that we're going to check uh, today. Uh, we talked about them before, but I think that it's important that people hear like this information from an, an American speaker or in this case from a a native speaker because uh, in, in Mexico usually finding someone uh, from the U.S. or finding a, a native speaker to like to learn English is it's something very very important. So I I would like to hear like your thoughts about uh, some things that are very common for especially for Mexican people. But uh, before well uh, to begin with the first question, uh, for example, uh, Mexico and the United States are, are very close and, and normally because of of movies or normally because of like uh, like uh, the history of both countries uh, at least people in Mexico yeah, I think that in many other or in many other countries in, in Latin America uh, normally we see the United States as a or as a very great place to live in a place with a great education system uh, we also consider this as a, as a very good uh, option to learn uh, to learn English so what do you, what do you think about it do you Do you think that all these ideas are correct? Do you have another point of view? Um, that is a very great question. So um, I think there is a good educational system in the United States. Um, maybe in the movies it's represented as like better than it really is in real life. Um, and I think um, a lot of it depends really on where you live, which state you live, because each state has like different educational systems. And then... Um, It also depends on like the area that you live. So for example, if you live in a richer area, more well off, like you're gonna have better schools in general. I mean, if we're talking about children, um, but also universities are gonna be kind of in, um, yeah, just different areas. So like there's different uh, levels of university. There's like community college, there's like state universities, public universities, and then private universities and Ivy Leagues, right? So you've got a different, uh, a lot of different levels of, Uh, yeah, just schooling and um, quality of education. Um, sadly, 
Texas is known for, at least for the public school system, as having like one of the worst educational systems in the country. So that's interesting. But I mean, I do do feel like I learned a lot growing up. So it's, you know, um, I think it's definitely got um, a lot of benefits. But yeah, it's maybe not as uh, perfect as it's made out to be, you know, in movies. Um, as for learning English in the United States, I do think it's a very good place to learn English. Um, and I think it's because there's a lot of people in the United States who only speak English. For example, if you went to Europe, I feel like there are people who speak multiple languages, right? They speak maybe the mm-hmm. dominant language of the country, but then like other languages from other countries in Europe. And, and so again, probably like immigrants could go to another country and find people who speak the same language as them. While here, um, yeah, well, people just speak English, you know, it's not very um, traditional to learn a lot like another language like it is in Europe. And so I feel like just like you're forced, like in a lot of cases, like if you move to the United States, you're just forced to learn it in order to survive, you know. Um, it isn't the case everywhere, everywhere. I will say that my abuelita who lives in Houston, Texas, she doesn't know English. She's lived here for like 35 years. And she's never learned English because she, like, moved into an area that's just very, um, like, Latino concentrated. And so she just, she does everything in Spanish. Because So there are places, there are communities where there's a lot of, like, Latino immigrants or um, in other places of the country, like Chinese or Asian immigrants, where I'm sure that you could kind of stay within your own native language, right, and not have to learn English. Um but in general, I think in most places in the United States, um, you would just kind of have that necessity of learning it. And everyone would be talking to you in it all the time. So I think that helps as well, right? You'd be like getting that input um, constantly. And then um, as for like the public school systems, um, there's like a lot of programs for like, for example, immigrant children or people who are learning um, English as a second language to learn like at school. There's like programs where they'll maybe take them out of their normal classes and have like concentrated uh, lessons in English until they can um, speak it at a at a higher level and have like all of their classes in English. And then also a lot of universities have like ESL programs as well for like foreign students. Um, so, I mean, I think, yeah, there are a lot of programs in public school for children and at higher um, education to to learn English, so I'd say yes, it is a good place to learn. And, and nowadays, it is believed that because of like these uh, high number of immigrants living in the U.S., especially immigrants from Latin America, many people say like, okay, I will uh, I will go to the U.S. and it's not really necessary to speak English because uh, there are many Spanish speakers, so I think it's not really necessary to. Uh, to know the language but but you mentioned that uh, there are some places in which maybe you can survive without speaking english but like in most of the places you really need to uh, to to speak the language right yes uh, i definitely agree so i think in texas you will find and california probably you will find more places where there are very strong um, hispanic communities and yeah you maybe don't ever have to learn the language but for example i lived in utah for six years And I mean, there were some people who spoke Spanish, but a lot of people didn't like you really, I think, did have to uh, learn English if you wanted to, like, you know, try to function well in in that area. 
Um, I think a lot of like the, in the center of the country too. Um, I think it's just very, I mean, I know there are like immigrants all across the United States, but I feel like the communities aren't as like strong and concentrated, like in the middle of the country as well, like the Midwest. And so, yeah, I feel like there's definitely areas where um, it would be very difficult not to speak English. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, also talking about like uh, education, uh, you mentioned that uh, you have like uh, public uh, schools and public universities and private universities. And uh, I remember that when we talked about this, I was like really surprised because, for example, here in Mexico, uh, public universities, like the principal mm -hmm. characteristic is that they are cheap. You need to pay maybe like five or six thousand pesos a year. And maybe in private schools, you need to pay the same amount, maybe five, six thousand but, uh, per month. So the difference is really high in the cost of uh, public education and, and private education but i remember that you told me that in the u.s like even public education is, is not really cheap right it's not no uh, and that is a difficult part of of obtaining higher education in the united states is that it's all expensive i mean the the most affordable um colleges are yeah they're community colleges but you could be looking at I don't know, $5,000 minimum a semester, $5,000. That's cheap. I mean, probably well, like $7,000. Now, if you're like looking at um, like state universities that are maybe a little bit better, you're going to be like at $10,000, $13,000, um, $15,000. And then if you go to um, really prestigious universities, it's going to be at least $20,000 a semester, which is just ridiculous but yeah so a lot of americans have a lot of student debt for going to college um it's really interesting a lot of people are like you know i mean they obviously are like unhappy with the system and they think it's just it's really a business right like instead of higher education being for the people so that you know we can better our society and just have yeah higher trained people for different jobs it's more like they're trying to you know Uh, just make as much money as possible off of, mm -hmm. off of United States citizens who are just socially and culturally expected to go mm -hmm. to these colleges and also can't get a lot of higher paying jobs without going to colleges. So it's it's become a, a big um, point of discussion definitely in the United States is how expensive higher education is. Sometimes in movies I see like when they need to go to the, to the university I can. I remember that I see that when they talk about like getting a scholarship, like parents talking about saving money for a long time, yeah. and uh, I, I thought it was like something more like about like just like the culture or something just to save money. But no. now talking to you, I see that it's <laughs> it's more like a necessity to yes. have the chance to go to the to college, right? Exactly. Yeah, and I mean. It's interesting in a lot of cases, I mean, if parents are like well off, if they're established, like they'll help their kids pay a lot or some people pay all the child's education, which is that's really nice. Um, but in a lot of cases, like in my case, I mean, my parents did help me some when I was just totally broke. Like I had a job, but it was hard because it, it paid very little. I mean, especially compared to what I was paying in rent and food plus tuition. Um, and I had some scholarships and even then, like I didn't you know, have enough to get by sometimes. So they would help me. But um I also worked a lot, you know, to, to try to pay for it. And I have student debt still, you know, so it's, yeah. it's, a, it's difficult. <laughs> okay. okay. And, and uh, can you tell us a little more about your degree? What, what did you study at? 
uh, yes. there at school? So I studied English. Um, and when I say that, a lot of people are like, oh, so you're like really good at grammar and you're like, you're going to be an English teacher, like teaching, like, I don't know, kids at, you know, public school. And I'm like, that's not exactly it. So it was more focused on English literature, just like any literature written in English, you know, in the United States, in um, England a lot, like British literature. And then it also focused a lot on writing, like writing skills, like professional writing skills, persuasive writing, um, writing essays, like on literature. That was a big part, like literary analysis. And I also took some creative writing classes, a lot of poetry writing classes, because uh, I love poetry. So, so it's more, it was more like on the literary, like writing end of it, not so mm -hmm. much like, let's break down the English language about, you know, pronunciation, grammar. That's, that's more like English as a second language, or there was also an English teaching major. But yeah, so it was English, but it was like literature and writing was the main focus. I, I also remember that, uh, that for example, like something it's a little different also, like in, like when we were talking about like degrees is for example like in spanish normally when you go to the university uh, the degree that you obtain uh, i think this word well in spanish we say that you are a licenciado like and some people try to translate this as a, as a license in, in english but uh, i remember that you told me that you don't have like that kind of like uh, like names in english right it's, it's yeah different. no yeah you're totally right so um, there are there are titles in English, you know, but it's usually for, if you get a doctorate, then you are a doctor, you know, but before that, it's like your education. I mean, it doesn't distinguish you socially, you know, there's not, yeah, any kind of original reason. It's just once you become a doctor. Um, I mean, I think that is the most common title. I'm trying to think if there's another one. Yeah. And that means like any kind of doctorate program, right? It doesn't mean that you're a medical doctor, but like you could be a doctor of English literature, a doctor of soci sociology, a doctor of architecture, like whatever. Um, but yeah, any kind of education lesson that does not get a title. So that, that's I think that's something important to consider at the moment of, especially when people change their CVs from Spanish to, to English. Yes. That's that's just the first problem, like to decide uh, how to do that because in, in Spanish it's it's very important that you write an engineer or maybe like a doctor or maybe like a professor teacher like yeah. that part is like very important at least in Mexico like when you are describing your profession like that part is, is very important but in English basically just you said like just if you are a doctor basically that's like the only profession that usually you you write the only title that you write before your name right yeah and and professor you mentioned professor but the only professors are you can only call someone a professor if they've gotten a doctorate so it's not like if someone has a, a bachelor's or a master's in something they can't be called professors i mean yeah if you did it people probably get mad i don't know they're very like um just like strict about that here i don't know why um but i mean i it is a lot of education and i guess they're like you have to earn it but yeah, so professor and doctor are like the only mm -hmm. titles we have here. Also something that it's very important for, uh, for uh, maybe I don't know if like for all the people, but at least what I have seen here in Mexico is that uh, sometimes when people decide to study English and they go to a, a language center, sometimes one of the first questions that the people ask is, uh, are, your, are your teacher Americans? Are your teacher native speakers? It's like... Uh, something very important to have like an american person as a teacher and do you think that it's really essential do, do we need like to pay 
so much attention to this point of having a, a native teacher or, or we can learn also from uh, non-native uh, teachers, non-native speakers? That's a very good question. Um, I think you can definitely learn from both. And I think you can learn from non-native speakers. Like if they speak English well, like I think they have a lot to teach you and a lot to offer. I mean, maybe you'll get to a point where like you've learned so much from them, maybe as much as they know. And there might be some things out of their expertise, right? There might be idioms, like which are dichos in Spanish. They're sayings that um, they might not be familiar with or maybe some, you know, words here and there. Um, maybe more advanced grammatical concepts that they're not familiar with, but up until the point that they know that they're familiar with, I think they have a lot to teach students. Now, um, yeah, the advantage of a native speaker is that they probably know, you know, like, you know, they have all of their native knowledge to offer you, whereas non-native speakers might be lacking in some areas, but I think you can really learn from both. Um, one point that might be helpful with a, a native speaker is um pronunciation which it depends on your teacher right like nice. if they're a non-native speaker and and um like maybe they don't have the same pronunciation as a native speaker right and if you're really looking to get that native pronunciation it might be hard to get that from your non-native speaker that doesn't have you know that the same pronunciation but even then i mean you can learn a lot about english itself you know the the grammar the different structures vocabulary I mean, I think there's a lot you could learn from both. So that, that's my take on it. And, and for example, now that you are studying a little of, of Spanish, have you had a native Spanish teachers or non-native Spanish teachers? Have you had both? That's a good question. So uh, I took, so I've been taking classes online, um, which is not my favorite mode of taking classes. I, I hope to be able to take classes in person soon. But first semester, I did have a native Spanish speaker. She was from... But the way the class was formatted, she was only like grading the homework. She never actually gave us classes. You know, it was like mm -hmm. asynchronous, which means that you were just working on your homework and the exams on your own. And then, you know, she goes in and grades stuff. Um, the second semester I took, I had a teacher and we did have, you know, classes over Zoom. But he wasn't a native Spanish speaker. Mm -hmm. um, his mother was from Mexico, but... It seems like he didn't speak it growing up or something, but he had studied at Harvard is, you know, is what he told us, studied Spanish. But what was kind of interesting to me was, was that I felt his accent was really strong. Like his, his gringo accent was pretty okay. strong. I was like, whoa, I'm not like, like I was just, I was kind of surprised. Um, and then, and I think it just might be him. I'll talk more about this later, but with him, it also seemed like he had a hard time like speaking Spanish the whole way through the class like he would switch into English a lot and I was like whoa like I just I was wanting to get you know this experience of immersion you know of speaking Spanish for you know a few hours and and it, he was kind of switching back and forth so it seems like, like he just wasn't you know very maybe confident or comfortable with speaking Spanish fluidly for an extended period of time which was hard for me because I am comfortable with that right and I was kind of looking for that from a teacher a professor so So yeah, I think that was not, for me, the greatest experience working with him as a non-native speaker. Uh, but I will say that my my husband took some Spanish classes in his undergrad, and most of his teachers were non-native speakers, but they spoke it so well, they spoke Spanish so well. I mean, they taught, like, Don Quixote, you know, in his classes, oh, yeah. and, and they, you know, which is a very advanced 
piece of, of literature and they would, you know, like analyze it in, in depth and, and they had the vocabulary for it and they would speak Spanish the whole time. Uh, he took grammar classes, writing classes, and he said, you know, his professors were great, even though they weren't native, um, native speakers. So I think it does depend to, you know, obviously on the professor you get. But yeah, those have been my experiences with uh, my Spanish classes. As you mentioned, so I think at the end, it depends a lot on, on each specific teacher. I think it's yeah. not like okay, that we cannot say that all the native teachers are the same and not all native teachers are the same. Uh, something that I, I, I mentioned is that we have to be careful when we say a native teacher because saying that a person is a native English teacher or a native Spanish teacher is not the same that saying that the person is a native speaker of English or, or Spanish because... Yeah. Maybe sometimes we can have a, a friend or maybe a neighbor who is a native speaker, but that doesn't mean that uh, he's like really good at at grammar or like this kind exactly. of information. Right? Totally, totally. I totally agree with that. Um, like you said, just because you are a native speaker of that language doesn't mean that you're qualified to, to speak, to teach that language um, to other people. And it just makes me think of how many people I know Um, it's very common in the United States. People will be like, I can't English today. And what that mm -hmm. means is like, they have a hard time speaking sometimes. Mm -hmm. I mean, speaking English and it's, uh, it might be that they like mess up on the pronunciation or like their grammar is wrong. You know, I, I think that's something that's more common now is like people will use the wrong like grammar. Like, for example, they will like conjugate something that should be plural as singular mm -hmm. or, um, They'll use the wrong prepositions or the wrong um, verb tenses and stuff. And this is in their speaking and in their writing. I, I used to be a writing uh, tutor at my university. So I would see it all the time people's writing. I was like, well, their English grammar is, is really bad. Yeah. <laughs> so like Alex said, it's like just because someone is a native speaker of that language doesn't mean that they are really uh, prepared or qualified to be teaching that to other people. Yeah. And, and maybe sometimes maybe maybe sometimes we just want to help but maybe we are not providing the, the right kind of of help or, yes. or, or or maybe sometimes even the, the way we say think it's very important because for example like we have like this expression like, like uh, taking a taxi if you learn Spanish from Spain that expression is, is very different <laughs> than if you learn it like in the Mexican Spanish so, and totally. and for example like if you're learning maybe like if you have like the expression from Spain, And I, as a Mexican person, I tell you, hey, Richard, be careful. That expression is not correct. Technically, I am making a mistake because the expression is correct, but it's not the, the common expression in Mexico, in, right. in the country. So, so sometimes yeah. it's important also maybe like to be careful how we say things to people, right? No, definitely. I feel like that's happened to me a lot. Like sometimes, I mean, because... I, I do try to learn, you know, as much of like the Mexican Spanish, you know, just the the vocabulary and sayings and stuff. But sometimes, yeah, I read books or I watch shows from like other parts of either from Spain or other parts of Latin America. And I, I learn things and then I say them and my family, like my mom or abuelita are like, what is that? Like, no, that's not how you say it. And I'm like, but I heard it. Like, I know, like, you know, somewhere people say it like that. Um So it is interesting. I feel like that happens more probably often in Spanish because there are so many Spanish-speaking countries and mm -hmm. Spanish varies so much from country to country. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, English, I mean, I mean, there are more, I mean, right, United States, um, England, there's Australia, 
New Zealand, and I know there's a lot of other places that I'm missing,、um, but maybe not so quite as many countries that、uh-huh. speak English as as the ones that speak Spanish. So probably not as much variation there. Going back to this part of、uh, of、uh, pronunciation, is there any English from another country that you consider、uh, difficult to understand? That's a good question.、Um, I feel like I, I watch a lot of like British television.、Uh, mm-hmm. It's very popular in the United States. I think they just have really great television over there. They do a really good job.、Um, and I also grew up reading a lot of British literature. So, in terms of the accent and some of the of the、um, verbs they use, like、uh, or words, sorry, vocabulary that they use, like I'm kind of familiar with it.、Um, But I do have a brother-in-law, but I've never been to England. Is the thing, right? And so I have a brother-in-law who lived there for a time. And when I、um, first met him, he like he talked to me about his experience, and he talked to me about all these words that he didn't know, like people like just totally different words for the same things. You know, we have like here, but it's just like really different. And so I was like, whoa, like yeah, like if I went over there, it'd probably be very hard for me to understand certain things because、uh, the vocabulary is different. And he also said, like you know, there's maybe the The typical British accent that you know people know and hear like in television, but there's also like a lot of regional dialects and accents in England、um, that are very hard to understand. And he would imitate some. He's he's an actor, so he's very good at、uh, doing accents. And I was like, whoa, yeah, like I have a hard time like picking out the words that he's saying. So I think. I mean, just watching British TV, I, I think I do fine. But if I were to go over there, I might, yeah, have a difficult time understanding some people. Maybe sometimes we can think that, for example, like native speakers, they can go and talk to everyone in any other English-speaking country. Yeah. And 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 maybe that's not really the, the case, right? Maybe it can be difficult to adapt to the English of, of other countries or other culture. Yeah, definitely. I mean, with the accent being one part, and then also the vocabulary, the words are definitely different from from country to country. Like I say, and I think that Spanish is, is something similar.、Uh, but I think that maybe, I think that maybe、uh, there is not a great difference between the Spanish in, in Mexico and Argentina, or maybe Colombia or Spain. But there are some expressions which are different, especially talking about like idioms. But I think that in general. Most of the people can communicate with other Spanish speakers. I think、right. maybe for that reason, maybe we can think that,、uh, in this case, for you as an American、uh, person, you can go to、uh, England, New Zealand, Australia, and you can speak as、uh, normal as as you do in in the U.S. But maybe you can also have some trouble if if you go、I、to this I, place, right? Yeah, I, I definitely think I would. I, I have yet to, yeah. Go to any of those countries and experience it, but just just from hearing like that experience of, of my brother-in-law who went over there and just yeah, initially had a hard time communicating. I think I would as well. Yeah. Do you think that people should try to to focus on on mastering a specific kind of English, maybe like the listening and the accent of maybe like the U.S. or it can be a good idea like trying to to learn from different accents from different nationalities. What, what do you think? That's a good question. For me personally, I think it would be better to pick one and、mm-hmm. and stick with that.、Uh, at least that's what I do in Spanish. Like I try hard to you know like to have a Mexican accent and learn Mexican sayings and vocabulary and everything.、Um, for me, it's personal because I, you know my my heritage is from there, so I want to be able to to have that as a part of my you know communication skills in Spanish. 
But I think in general, it's just helpful because I think it can get kind of confusing, you know, for you to be in like, like trying to、um, remember, okay, which country is this from? And like, if I go to this country, like, will they understand what I'm saying?、Um, and I mean, to that end, like, if you have a mix like a, of different, for example, like words and sayings from all these different countries, and you go to like one of those countries, like, they might understand some of the things you say, but then not the other half, right? Um, and I think what could be helpful is like if you focus on one language and then you maybe go to different countries, but you have like one set like accent and vocabulary. And so maybe you won't communicate perfectly in every country. Like I won't, even though I'm a native Spanish speaker or English speaker. Like in that country that you learn, you know, like the accent and, and,、um, all of the sayings and everything. Like at least in that country, like, You feel like you'd be able to speak maybe on a advanced native level, you know? So I think having that kind of confidence would be good. And if you spread yourself out too thin, trying to learn the accents of all these different countries and and the the terminology and and sayings, I think it can get confusing and then you might not be able to feel like you're advancing as much with your English, if that makes sense. And well, I think that sometimes we have like this、uh, mix of, of、uh, accents or Different ways to pronounce words because、uh, sometimes maybe it's easier to use the accent or the pronunciation of one specific country for people who speak Spanish, for example,、uh, pronouncing words like、uh, tomatoes or water, maybe like bottle, like, like more similar to the British pronunciation. It's, it's easier that maybe using like the,、uh, the American, uh, the American uh, accent, uh, like city, like, like using this pronunciation. it's Right. It's, it's easier. And I think that maybe, maybe that can be like also a reason why sometimes we mix the accents. Right. Yeah. And I think one thing with that is that if you're going to be mixing accents, like it's probably like better to mix accents than like the different, you know, like words and vocabulary from different countries. Like if you mix accents, I think people are still going to be able to generally understand、uh-huh. what you're saying, you know, like because like I said, generally like people understand. In the United States, understand you know, the kind of standard、um, British dialect so even, or、uh, accent. So, even if you do you know, have some pronunciation that is maybe more British than American, I think people will still be able to understand what you're saying, which is good. And, well, and also, for example, like, now that you mentioned this part of the understanding that people can have when we are in a, in a conversation,、uh, I think that the, sometimes people who are not native speakers, we are afraid、uh, of talking to native speakers because, as you really know the, the language, you have like some idioms, you have a natural fluency speaking the language. Sometimes we think that if we make a mistake,、uh, you are going to notice the mistake immediately. And sometimes we are afraid to, to talk to you because we are thinking, like, oh no, but if I say something wrong, if I make a mistake, she's going to notice and she's not going to want to talk to me anymore. And for example, like when you're talking to people like who are not native speakers, is this like something that you think, like, oh, he's not a native speaker, he's going to make mistakes. Let me try to catch、uh, their mistakes. Do you do that or it's just something that we have in, in mind? That's a very good question.、Um, so, for me personally, I'm going to answer that first for myself.、Um, I, I don't think that. I, I'm not like when I speak to non native speakers, I'm not looking for their mistakes. I'm not like, oh my goodness, they said this wrong and that wrong. Like, that is not the way I think at all.、Um, and I think part of that might be because I have, I think, this、um, kind of cultural、um, empathy and understanding because I did grow up bilingual, right? And、um, I am. 
like part of the Latino community. And I know a lot of people who like are learning English or it's English as their second language. And I understand how hard it is to be bilingual. It's very difficult to learn another language. And I just feel like so much admiration and compassion for people who, who are trying and who are learning and, and who are really just um, being, you know, yeah, brave and, and using that language and, and then learning it. So I feel like I just, I'm just like, usually just like so impressed by people who learn English. I'm like, wow, they're just, they're doing a great job is mostly what I think, you know, like uh, I'm definitely not looking to pick apart <laughs> their English at all. Even there are some people who, who have a good English level and sometimes they, they have these little mistakes. For example, instead of saying he likes pizza or he likes exercising, some maybe they can say he likes pizza or he likes exercising. Like right. this kind of little mistakes. Do you think that they can be like easy to identify in a conversation, like this kind of very little mistakes? Maybe if the conversation is fluent, people just don't notice these these things. That's a good question. Um, I think like if the conversation is really flowing, yeah, maybe it's not as noticeable. Though I will say, just like as a, a native speaker, like you just like sometimes you just know like sometimes you just registers. It's like oh, that was something was like off there. It's like. Um, like I wouldn't have said it like that. So I think just because you know how you would say it right naturally uh -huh. and it's not just because it's yeah, it's so natural to you. You might notice it. But um, again, I don't think it really uh, in a lot of cases impedes the communication. I don't think it's uh -huh. bad for the communication. I think if they're still understanding what you're saying, even though it's like a little mistake, um, maybe they'll notice or like, for example, um, in the case of my mom. So she um, moved to the United States when she was oh, old, like let's say 24 years old and so she's been speaking spanish uh spanish english for over 25 years and she still makes little mistakes like all the time every day but for example for me like who i'm i'm very used to to her english and just like to hearing her like speak like both her accent and the, the mistakes she makes like i don't i don't notice them like i just like I'm, i'm just like focusing on the message on the meaning of what she's saying and i don't get caught up on on those little mistakes so I think, yeah, it also depends. Like, people can get used to, you know, it's like, oh, this person, like, yeah, just the, the way they speak English. And, you know, they don't they don't worry about those things. So yeah, Basically, only if you say something that doesn't have, like, any sense, I think that maybe in that case we can have a, a real problem, right? Right, yeah. But if the if the communication is, you know, just clear, like, if it's, if it's like, understandable, I think, uh -huh. then, yeah, there's really not not a big issue. Yeah, not a problem. Well, also another thing that I want to, to ask you that is a, a personal doubt, and I think that is also like a doubt of many people learning English is that many people have like these little goals. For example, they say like, okay, I want to learn English because I want to listen to music in English and I want to understand the lyrics. I want to watch a movie in English without the subtitles and I want to understand everything they are saying. And maybe after having maybe several months, maybe years studying the, the language, they still, or we still have like some trouble to understand some expressions, even in, in movies, music, maybe in books. Sometimes people feel frustrated because after like a long time, they can accomplish this, these goals. So when you watch a movie in English, well, obviously in English, when you watch a movie, when you're listening to music, do you have this problem too? Sometimes do you have this problem to understand some expressions, maybe some phrases, or can you understand everything they say all the time? So, yeah. So not all the time, but it's 
for example, with music, there's a lot of times like I listen to a song and I'm like, it was a cool song. Like, I don't know what it was about. Like, like sometimes it's hard for me to like understand lyrics. And I think it's because um, sometimes it might be the way like the singers are pronouncing it, you know, and I would print out the lyrics and I would read them and memorize them because I was like, otherwise, like sometimes like maybe I'll catch the chorus, right? Like they repeat it a lot of times and I'm like, okay, you know what they're saying there. But there's like other words that I'm like, I just didn't catch that. Like I just... Yeah, I need to read it to, to figure out, like, what are they saying? So um, it's not just, you know, non-native speakers that don't always understand, like, words in, in, in songs and in um, just other medium. With movies as well, I think a big thing for me is that, like, people just, like, speak, like, in movies, like, they speak just, like, quietly. They say things quietly or, like, really fast or something. And I don't always get it. So, like, I... Like, sometimes I'll put subtitles on my English movies and it's just because I'm like, like, I can understand the most of it, but there's some, some lines I'm like, yeah, I didn't hear, I didn't catch that. Like, I didn't understand what that person said. So um, don't, don't be too discouraged because it definitely happens to uh, English native speakers as well. I'm trying to think in books. I mean, yeah, I, growing up, like, there was like a lot of words I would look up, um, some phrases that I didn't know. I still learn phrases. For example, it's interesting, my husband's family, like, they... They know a lot of idioms that like I'm not very familiar with and I'm like I don't know if it's because they're from California and they grew up with different idioms than I did or if they just like watched other things or read other books but there's like yeah there's something I'm like what does that mean like I haven't heard that before like or I've heard it but I don't understand it you know so that definitely does yeah happen to me as well well maybe it's not good having pros but it's good to know that maybe it's not just something that happens to to english learners i think that it's something that can happen to anyone not only in english but uh, also it happens to me in spanish too sometimes i am listening to music and and i don't understand really what the people are saying but yeah i think that it's something that can happen to to everyone right yes definitely Yeah, and, and, and continue with this part of pronunciation. This is also something that I uh, asked you before. And it's, uh, for example, uh, I speak uh, Spanish. And, and for Spanish, which is a, a phonetic language, normally for us, it's very normal. For example, like when we are reading, we see the word and we know how to pronounce it because in Spanish, uh, pronunciation and, and, and spelling are, are connected. Yes. But in English, if you see a, a word and it's the first time that you see this word, how do you know that you are using the correct pronunciation or how do you know? what is the correct way to pronounce it what is the the situation for you that's a very good question um so one answer is that you don't always know if you're pronouncing it right or wrong um there's been a lot of cases where like i will find out that i've been saying a word wrong the whole time because i've only like read it and i haven't heard people say it and then someone will be like no that's not how you say it it's like this i was like oh i didn't know that like because i've never heard it um and yeah i feel like that happens to a lot of people too like my sisters have been through the same thing but I feel like there are some general rules. And the hard thing for me is that like, I think I learned these rules just from hearing English, you know, since I was a little girl. And then I think, I mean, they did teach us some of them in school, um, some kind of general pronunciation rules. Uh, but the hard thing about these rules is like, sometimes they apply and sometimes there are exceptions to the rules. And sometimes for some words, there's like no rules. You just need to learn, memorize exactly how to pronounce that word. So I um, thought of some examples of some rules um here that i don't know if it's okay if i, I share them some general ones and i had a hard time i was like trying to find them online because i'm like okay like trying to think of them like it's kind of hard for me to like identify them and it was hard for me to find them online too so i was like man this is like kind of difficult so these are just some that i thought of so um th right so uh the th together like when it's at the beginning of the word it's vocalized which means like you've got like kind of your 
feel like that's hard to explain. Um, so I'll just say it. So the, um, that, right? It's like pronounced more. You've got like the kind of voice resonating under it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but if it's in the middle or at the end of a word, um, it's not going to be pronounced the same, right? It's not going to have, be vocalized. It's going to be, which was a hard, <laughs> it was a hard, that was a hard sound for me to learn when I was little because I had originally, you know, learned Spanish first and my, I had a, an aunt on my dad's side who was like, had me like, my hand in front of my face and try to like mm-hmm. blow air through the th until i could feel it on my hand so anyways um so uh for example um bath which has th at the end of the word mm-hmm. or math it's not the same as the words you can hear right the voice mm-hmm. under the, the th um and also this works in the middle of a word so bathroom mathematics right so that's like a general rule that, that mm-hmm. can help with that um and then there's another one with the um e i oh wait no, no no i'm thinking of i e sorry that's the order so when you have the vowel i and e together um you only pronounce the e so for example in the word believe it's b e l i e v e so the i e in the middle it's not believe believe right it's just believe it's the same with words like grieve or sieve Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, a, that's a rule that's helpful. I, I think I did learn that like in kindergarten. It was something, uh, I think I remember learning it then. Um, there's another rule, which is like pH. It's not like the, like something, put pH, is, it's the F, right? It's like phonetics, um, Phoenix, okay. Philadelphia. Okay. So there, there are some rules like that that can be helpful. Um, and I was thinking, I mean, it depends on you, Alex, but I could be, tr- I could try to, to find and identify more and maybe send you one a week that you could share you know with your listeners if people are interested in um and try, trying to learn some of those rules um but so there there are rules like that that can help um and then there's sort of one example of a rule that has like that like doesn't really work so this is one that i learned when i was little i remember there was my mom had us uh watch these like kind of english teaching series even before we started school because we were speaking a lot of Spanish and my uh, grandma on my dad's side was like, "Word, she'd never be able to talk to us, which it's silly. Of course, we were going to learn English, but she had us um, watch these like English lessons, you know, for kids. And there was a song that, that went like, O-U-G-H, 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 I'm through to teach you how to pronounce the word through with those O-U-G-H. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, through has O-U-G-H, it's the O sound. But there are other words like do, which has O-U-G-H, and it's not oo, it's o, do. And then there's the word rough, which is R-O-U-G-H, and it's not oo or o, it's uff. So it's yeah, like there was that rule, right? That song yeah, that helped me learn that pronunciation, but it was just for the word through. I had to learn then how to pronounce do and rough. So English is just, it's complicated sometimes, man. And And yeah, there are definitely people who are like, yeah, I don't know how to say that word. Like, I've never heard that word. Like, I've just read it. And so it's um, also an issue for native English speakers um, as well. And there's just so many, yeah, there's rules and exceptions to the rules and then just lack of rules. So it's, English is a difficult language for sure. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much for those examples. And, and that uh, little uh, demonstration, I think it was very, it's very, very useful. And, uh, and yes, of course, <laughs> if you can find some of uh, these rules and you can uh, share them with us, it, it will be 
Yeah, great. I think, I think that is, uh, yeah, because I think that the, as you mentioned, may, maybe the, this uh, these rules are not they are not going to apply like uh, all the time, but right. maybe most of the times we can use them, or yeah, or maybe they can help us. Maybe not to have like the correct pronunciation, but a good approximation to the correct uh, yes. pronunciation. So, so if you can share this information with uh, with us, that that would be great. Oh, definitely. Do, do you have a, any other tip, any other recommendation that you can give uh, to people who are learning English? Are you talking about pronunciation or just, just in general to learn English? In general, something that you consider like important. Okay, that's a good question. Um, I think read in English. I mean, and I think that's all, something that a lot of people start with, right, is reading. But I feel like that is a way that you get to learn a lot of vocabulary and sayings. And it's kind of nice because it's it's um, a little more controlled, right? You're not in a live situation where you're speaking to someone and maybe have that, that um, you know, the, the nerves of, of speaking with another speaker. It's like you have the time to be like, okay, I don't know what this word is and let me look it up or what is this saying? And, and that's like a way to learn. And I feel like it's a very, it's a way where you can feel very comfortable learning. Um, and yeah, I just feel like growing up, I learned a lot about English, like a lot of English words and expressions from reading. Like that was mm -hmm. um, one of my principal just like sources of, of English learning was from, from reading books and poetry and, and but also find, you know, whatever kind of reading you're interested in in English. Mm -hmm. And I think that can help you a lot. Um, but that being said, like at least for me learning Spanish, Um, a big part of improving my spoken Spanish is just speaking with, mm -hmm. with you know, whenever you can, um, with native speakers, with non-native, just finding that time um, to practice. And it's just because it is different. Sometimes, um, you know, I'll read out loud by myself in Spanish or I'll talk to myself in Spanish, you know, by myself. But mm -hmm. it's different, you know, speaking to yourself in private than having a conversation with somebody. It's, you know, it is very different. Sometimes the nerves come into play. Sometimes... You know, you just, I don't know, forget words or, or whatever it is. But that practice, it helps a lot. Um, for example, speaking with Alex helped me so much improve my Spanish, my spoken Spanish. So I think, yeah, pair, you know, that, um, that like uh, reading part with if mm -hmm. uh, just conversations, if you want to also improve that, the oral part of, of your English skills. I agree with you. I think that the practice uh, makes a great, a great difference. Yeah. And uh, if you have like the chance to practice with someone that maybe is uh, better than you, maybe with someone who has like a, yeah. a, a lower level, like uh, all this kind of, of practice can be can be very useful. Yes. And and especially if you really want to to learn, you need to, to make a, a great a great effort to achieve this this goal because learning a language, it's, I think in my opinion, it's not it's not so so easy. Or it, at least, for example, like when we go to school, sometimes we just go and we study just the night before the an exam and. And sometimes that's enough to to pass or to get a good grade. But the, when we talk about languages, I think that it's not enough just uh, going, trying to review some vocabulary before having a conversation. You really need you really need to like to to focus your attention on, on trying to learn as much as you can. Definitely, and I will say the same thing happens in the United States. You know, there's so many of us. I mean, me included for some of my classes. You know, I'd be like just the night before, or even you know whatever the hours before an exam or something you're studying, um, and then you like yeah you cram that's how you say it in english you cram your brain with all of this information last minute but then like it kind of goes away afterwards right you have not you have it long enough to to do well on your tests or your assignments or whatever and then it's kind of gone um and it's interesting because uh spanish is a very popular language course 
for high schoolers in the United States. You have to, in high school, like everyone is required to take a language and a lot of people take Spanish because they're like, oh, this is useful, which is, you know, people are like, there's a lot of Spanish speakers in the United States, which is true. And we're, you know, close to Mexico and Latino America. And so like a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I'm going to take Spanish. But it's, it's also like high school Spanish classes are kind of a joke, you know, because it's kind of this idea that like, yeah, either you don't study well or even though like the classes don't teach you that well, you know, they're just not a very high quality language classes. And so, um, yeah, the same thing happens here too. Like if, if someone wants to learn Spanish, just like if someone in Mexico wants to learn English, they really need to make a, a big personal effort, right? To make that happen. Cause sometimes those classes are just, yeah, not going to do it. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's something that uh, U.S. and Mexico have in, in common. Like, you know, learning languages and at school is not like the best the best way to to do it. <laughs> yeah, university might be a little bit better, um, and even then, it depends on the university. I feel like my classes haven't been the best, but for example, my husband had some good language classes, so uh, university might be a better a bit better for language learning, but. I think in any case, if you want to learn a language, like you have to put in personal time and effort, right? With with the reading, with finding people to speak with. And also something I didn't mention earlier, but which is also great too, is, you know, listening to podcasts, audiobooks, songs, um, watching movies, all, any kind of like input in that language, you know, oral, written, um, like auditory, all of that is going to help a lot too. So, yeah. Thank you very much for, for all your your recommendations for like all the information that you share with us about like this part of you know, learning English or how is like, this experience of using English in, in the U.S. And uh, now changing a little the, the topic, talking a little more about like the, the culture in, in the U.S. Uh, for example, like if we want to visit the, the U.S., uh, do you have any recommendation for us? Something that maybe we should try to do, something that we shouldn't uh, do to avoid uh, trouble? That's a good question. Are we, are we talking about in speaking English or just like in general with like maybe cultural differences or? Yeah, yeah it's more, more like about like cultural differences. Cultural differences. Um, I'm trying to think. Okay, one thing that makes me kind of sad, but is, is the case in the United States, is physical contact. <laughs> so I feel like in Mexico, people are just, they just love their physical contact. And it's so, I think it's so sweet. You know, they give each other hugs and like kisses on the cheeks every time they see each other. Um, and yeah, I just, I love that kind of like warmth that comes from the culture. But here, like a lot of people are like, I need my space, like my personal space. Um, like, unless you're really good friends, sometimes you don't hug. Um, the kisses on the cheek isn't very um, common. I mean, within the Latino communities, it's more. But even then, like I noticed like some, um, you know, Hispanics who've lived here for a while, like they don't, they don't always kiss you on the cheeks, you know, they uh -huh. don't always give you the, the hugs because they've kind of maybe become more Americanized, right? Where it's like more about just like personal space and just not as physically affectionate. Um, so that would be one thing to look out for. I mean, yeah. And obviously it depends on the person, depends on your friends. There might be some who are like, who would really love that contact and, and who are maybe more comfortable with it. But there are definitely other people. It's like the kind of traditional greeting, right? If you're meeting someone as a handshake. And even mm -hmm. that seems formal sometimes. A lot of people are, are just like, hi, <laughs> you okay, know, they okay. still kind of put the hand up and that, and that's the that's extent of, you know, any kind of physical gestures when, when you see somebody. Um, so, it, I mean, it does depend on the person. Um, so that is one thing. Um, I'm trying to think. There's some similarities. There's one similarity I thought of, like, you, like, if you want to get someone's attention, you know, you say, excuse me. Um, just like you'd say, disculpe, señor, something like that. Um, the señor and señora part, that's interesting in the United States. Um, 
So here in Texas, like a lot of people say sir and ma'am, and they see it as a sign of respect, you know? It's like, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir. Um, I didn't really grow up doing it because my parents didn't really do it, but a lot of people do it here, and they think it's really respectful and kind and educated, right? But there's other parts of the country where people are like, don't say that, like, don't call me ma'am, like, you make me feel old, right? So that's kind of a cultural thing within the United States, right? Like, in Texas, it seemed like like it's a show of respect, right? But in other states it's not used as commonly or for like like you ring like too formal with me you know you don't don't, don't call me sir don't call me ma'am so it just that's like another it's kind of a yeah like a linguistic cultural difference between states um so that's i mean but i mean i think generally people would understand that you're trying to be respectful but you know there might be people who who don't like it or it's just maybe not as common in other places in the u.s so that's something. And just for example, and now that you mentioned this part that maybe sometimes people like, they prefer to respect their, their own personal space. Uh, if I go to, to the US and, and I am a lost in the street and I want to get some help from, from another person, uh, how easy can it be to get help or, or will it be something difficult to ask for uh, someone in the street uh, like for help? That's a good question. I think it depends on the state a lot yeah. um, and the city. So. I feel like here in Texas, it would be easy. I feel like most people are like pretty friendly. You know, they're um, the South in general is kind of known for hospitality. And of course, it depends on person to person and just, you know, uh, just, yeah, it depends. But in general, I think if you're like, hey, excuse me, like, do you know where this is? People would be like, oh, yeah, sure. Like, it's just a couple blocks down or go down the street, whatever. Um, So, yeah, you can say excuse me or it's like, oh, hey, I don't know. Maybe oh hey isn't the best way to lead and probably excuse me is still the best. Um, but I feel like generally people are, are happy to help, you know, and um, but and I don't know this firsthand because I haven't been there. But like, for example, New York has a reputation for like having people who are kind of rude, you know. So if you ever mm-hmm. saw someone on the street and ask for directions, they'd be like, like, no, I don't have time, you know, for this. Or maybe they would just ignore you or or but maybe make a mean face like i don't know if this is personally true like it's just it's a stereotype that you know i've heard and maybe seen in movies and stuff um so yeah but i and they say generally like in the east people are maybe not as um i wouldn't say not as friendly but just not as you know open to strangers is kind of what i've heard and and interacting with people that they don't know so yeah it varies on state to state um there was something else i thought about and i can't remember what it was if i I remember i'll I'll mention it but yeah it just depends on on the state you're in and um definitely like yeah i'm sure there are people in in the east you know who who will be more open and talking it yeah depends on the person depends on the state but i think if if you're lost you could probably you know try to talk some, to somebody and you'll find help from someone so yeah, because for example here in mexico like yeah, in those kind of situations especially when you need to talk to someone that, that you don't know I, I think that normally we try to get more physical contact with people that we don't know that with people that we that we do know for example yeah, if you're in the street like you need some help that you want to ask for yeah, an address or something like that maybe it's very common that that you approach to one person and just say something like excuse me you try to put like your hand on the shoulder of the person or maybe you try to touch the the hand of the of the person, like you try to have like this little gentle touch to indicate that maybe you don't you are not like a dangerous person. And normally we do it with that intention, but mm-hmm. uh, I think that maybe in the U.S. maybe that that wouldn't be like a good a good option, right? Probably not. Sadly, here I think people would would see it as a sign like you are a dangerous person, like you're you're invading my personal space and I don't even know who you are, kind of thing. Um. So yeah. I think that's such a, a sweet gesture, um, and I I kind of wish it was like that here. But 
No, I think you're probably, you know, you honestly even keep a physical distance. Like, don't get too physically even close to that person, like when you're standing or whatever. Um, Because sometimes people, yeah, they're just kind of like wary of people they don't know. They're just kind of maybe more just generally suspicious. Not always, but if you were to touch somebody, like, I think if you were to touch somebody, like, and you just like couldn't get their attention, maybe get them, like, and they're like turned around, you can maybe like touch their back, like, excuse me. And that's probably the most physical contact. You just, you just, Touch the back just just because maybe they're not hearing you, right? But aside from that, yeah, not probably no hand holding, no like shoulder touching for like a long period of time. So, yeah, they'll probably not be taken as well here. It's good to know that because I think that at least at least for 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 Mexican people, I think that's something very common, like having like like this little physical contact yeah. with a person. Of course, like like trying to be respectful all the time, but if we don't know like these kind of things, maybe. We can have a problem with another person without even know why. What is right. the, the problem? Like what right? it is that you did wrong? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, yeah. well, thank you, thank you very much, Rachel, for this. Like, for for first for accepting this this invitation for being uh, talking to us for giving us like your uh, your opinions on this information, like some of your uh, your tips. This part about like uh, the pronunciation was really really good. I think that's something that people uh, should try to to practice at home. And that song uh, that that you, you learned when you were a child that was also very I think that's also very useful I think that maybe we should <laughs> practice with this kind of, of music too but thank you thank you very much Rachel for accepting this this invitation of course Alex thank you so much for having me on the show I've just really enjoyed our conversation and I, I really hope yeah something that I said is helpful um, you know to the listeners out there um, I'm really excited about this the show I think you're doing a great job with this podcast so yeah just my kudos my compliments to you thank you thank you very much Rachel and, and I hope that you can be with us again in, in the future yes no yes I would love to that would be that would be okay. great excellent okay so, okay guys uh, thank you very much for uh, listening to us I hope that uh, you enjoyed this conversation that you can take advantage of all this conversation and uh, remember that you can uh, listen to this podcast in Spotify uh, Amazon Music Google Podcast too and uh, Apple and uh, I see you again uh, next week with a new episode bye bye bye